Hello and welcome to this episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and today, as I'm releasing this episode, we're finding ourselves on the heels of yet another mass shooting. My heart goes out to the families in Highland Park, Chicago, who are now finding themselves in the aftermath of one evil man's killing spree. Mindy Corporan is no stranger to this horrific story of domestic terrorism and mass shootings. On April 13th, 2014, her life was shattered when a white supremacist murdered three people who he thought were Jewish. Two of the victims were her dad and young son. The horrific news reverberated nationwide, occurring just one day before the Jewish festival of Passover began. In a split second, Mindy's life purpose changed from guiding people financially to helping people find space to learn about their differences and discover commonalities. one of hope and healing after unthinkable tragedy and an example of light shining in the most extreme darkness. Her story also reminds us that no matter your race, religion, or community of origin, none of us are immune from gun violence and hatred that seems to be running rapid in our world today. But Mindy's story also reminds us that evil can be overcome with good and healing is possible for even the most shattered of souls. Listen in on Mindy's story. All right, Mindy, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. Thank you, Andrea. I appreciate being asked. I do. Um, It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm just, um, I'm really grateful for you to be here to talk about, especially some of the hard things we're going to talk about and how your story of how God is really, you have allowed God to use the hard things in your life for good and kindness. And that's what we're going to talk a lot about today. And I don't know if you know all this, but um, I, and up until a couple of months ago, I lived right by where the Jewish Community Center, what we'll talk about. My aunt works at the Jewish Community Center. I was born and raised in Kansas City. So we have that connection because as my listeners will hear your story, um, a lot of a lot of it takes place here. So we will we will dive into that a little bit more. But Mindy, before we do, can you just tell my listeners a little bit about you today, where you live, kind of what your day to day is and don't dig too much into your story with that, but just some general things. Yeah, so today I am living in Pompano Beach, Florida with my husband, uh, Leonard Lovson. He goes by Lynn, Leo, Leonardo. So we call him all kinds of fun things. Uh, we, he, he was my spouse when the tragedy happened and he is my spouse now. Many people want to seem to want to know about that. So he and I have been married 21 years. Um, our living son, Lucas Lovson, is um, going to be a junior at the University of Arkansas. And he's actually living in Fayetteville this summer. So my day-to-day, I am spending my energy split between two things. Specifically, uh, Workplace Healing is a for-profit company. And our mission is to strengthen national and international corporate culture and restore productivity and increase re-engagement for a grieving employee. So it's specifically a software application for leadership at a company to um, help them implement uh, for their employees when they're grieving. And then the other half of my time is spent on seven days. Um, Our foundation was called Faith Always Wins. And in October of 2021, we changed the name to Seven Days, which has been our event. So it's um, tagline is Seven Days Make a Ripple Change the World. And that foundation was created in 2015 um, after the tragedy that we're going to discuss. Okay. The Seven Days is how you came back on my radar because as I mentioned I was born and raised in Kansas City we weren't living here in 2014 gosh I think we were at that time actually living in Oklahoma yeah we lived as we lived eight years in Tulsa Oklahoma so we have that tie into our story as well we moved back to the Kansas City area in 2020 when my own dad suddenly passed away um, at age 69 
to be here for my mom. So I also have been through the grief journey and losing a parent suddenly and out of nowhere. Um, and that's what brought us back to the Kansas City area to locate, like I said, in Overland Park by the Jewish Community Center. And, and when I saw you was the seven days make a ripple and your story came back on the forefront. I knew then I'm like, gosh, I want, I want to tell her story. And I was just kind of waiting for the right time. So I just appreciate you saying yes when the time was right and being willing to share today. Yes, thank you. I think you did ask me a, a, a month or two before seven days event. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh goodness, please ask me again in May. That's and then right. we'll um, and then we'll get it on the calendar. So yes, March and April are um, very high level capacity for me uh, with seven days. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so as I was reading your bio on your website, it said reaching the pinnacle of her professional career, Mindy was in the middle of raising her two talented boys when tragedy struck. And that's the tragedy we're going to talk to you about today, but then also what that tragedy led you to. It said in a split second, your life purpose changed. So before we talk about that tragedy, and I know this I don't know, but I imagine this is still always a hard conversation for you. So you share as much or little as you want. But I thought maybe before we talk about the tragedy, if you would like to just tell me and listeners, I've read your book, Healing a Shattered Soul. So I know all about your your dad and your son, but maybe tell our listeners just a little bit about your dad and your son, Reed, so they can get to know them a little bit. Yes, I love talking about them. And I always smile when I talk about them. Uh, I, they just are in my heart. They're it with me every day in my heart. I wore my yellow butterfly earrings for you for the podcast today on purpose. Um, I love those. I, I, I wondered, does she wear those all the time or they're, I wear them. I wear them on special occasions. So today to my, your podcast was my special occasion today to put them on. Um, so my dad is, um, is, and I say is he's still in me. My dad, uh, is very pragmatic, raised me to be very pragmatic and um, thoughtful, yet uh, making decisions very quickly. And so that is who people would say I am as well. My dad, uh, lots of jokes, lots of humor. He was a physician. Uh, he was in family practice. He became a doctor when I was about three or four years old. And um, I have an older brother. So we lived in poverty. And I, of course, we didn't know it. We were babies. We lived in poverty for several years. And um, my mom worked um, her tail off to, you know, and so did my dad to make sure that he got through medical school. And, you know, we relocated a few times, but we landed in Barlow, Oklahoma, where I grew up. And so I grew up on a 40 acres in Marlow, Oklahoma is a town of 5,000 people. And my dad, I, I mentioned this because my dad spent time on the football field being the doctor for the, for the home football team, right. For the Marlow outlaws. And my dad did the boys physicals. And I remember my, my guy friends saying, Oh, doc, doc's going to see me today. Or is doc going to be on the football field tonight? Or, you know, so, and we couldn't go anywhere without people saying, Hey doc, you know, how's it going? Is that we could go to the grocery store and people would know him. So small town doctor, um, but amazing. He, he's a healer. He was much more of a healer than I realized now that I've sought healing in a variety of modalities. I look back and, and know that my dad was a healer as well, but he was very focused in medical practicing. Um, but he also valued so much, uh, nutrition and meditation, um, exercise, you know, physicality. So, voracious reader, loved history. So he passed on his love of reading and medical ability and probably a lot of his knowledge on to REIT. Uh, REIT is spelled R-E-A-T and 14 years old at the time of his murder. Uh, goodness gracious. So his intellect was really high. He was at a genius level intellect. He was also funny and humorous, but we didn't let him tell dirty jokes. So he was humorous during his own time. He would have come into those. Uh, He was working on his Eagle Scout. So he'd been in scouting since he was five years old. He was a singer, a dancer, a performer, other funny things that, that just really didn't make sense to us at the time are he could sit and watch um, like CIS Miami or CIS. He loved crime shows and all of that. He was very interested in uh, criminology and medicine. And I thought he thought he might get into that. 
And then he could also go camping. You know, he, he could be on a computer for a, an hour or two a day, but then he would pack his bags and go camping for the weekend with the Boy Scouts. And so he was all over the place with his interests. Um, very good at debate, loved debate. Um, he just, he was a wonderful, wonderful young man. And he was mm-hmm. a wonderful boy and turning into a wonderful young man at the time that his life was taken. And Re and your dad were very close and your parents had actually moved to the Kansas City area from Oklahoma to be close to you and your family, right? Yes, yes. So my younger brother uh, had gone to law school in Lawrence at KU. And so he and his wife were raising their kids in the Kansas City area as well. But Reed and Lucas were a little older um, and my mom and dad moved to our area in about 2004, which would have put Lucas at about age two. And, um, and then when um, Andrew and Katie were born, you know, they were there for them as well. So we knew that Tony and Dana were going to stay there and raise their kids there. So, yeah, so my mom and dad relocated from Duncan, Oklahoma to two places in Kansas and then found themselves, which we wanted in Overland Park. And they really infiltrated in the family. I tell many people, they were the grandparents, they're the type of grandparents that diaper and feed and bathe your children. They don't just give them candy and hand them back to you. So when we, we could go on vacation for, you know, four nights, maybe five nights, and my mom and dad would take explicit care of them. They would take them to museums, to the zoo, to theater. Uh, yeah, they were, they were definitely all in grandparents. So with that said, you're going along with your life in 2014. You had been through a divorce, been single, being a single mom. Your dad had been there for you. Um, you said he, one of your quotes said he saved your skin a few times and growing up he, uh, when you were growing up. So life seemed good. So you're on that, it's Palm Sunday, April 13th, 2014. Again, you share as much or little of that day as you want. And a lot of details are in your book, Healing a Shattered Soul. So I encourage my listeners to get your book to hear all the details, but just as much or little as you want to share about that day that you thought, you know, going on with your quote ordinary day. Right, right. It really goes to show you how, important it is to live every day to the fullest how significant it is to not leave a loved one angry how significant it is to hug someone even if you're upset and say that i say i love you at the end of a sentence before you walk out a door mm-hmm. um so i was in the home and i with my dad and Reed. There's this whole story leading up to how it all came to be that my dad drove Reet, and um, and that is in the book, as you said. But I was in the home with my dad and Reet. We were the only three people in our house at the time, and I was late for a lacrosse game. I was supposed to be driving to a lacrosse game for Lucas, and I was talking to my dad about our day. I was talking to my dad about normal things and my work and his work. And the expectations that he had to take Reet to this audition and then to bring Reet back home and that we would see him at church later and then we were going to have dinner together. You can see this is very mundane. It's a very normal conversation about a day, how your day should go. And when I tell the story, I, can, I see myself and can really envision even the sunlight coming in from the window from the backyard. I can see exactly where my dad was sitting. There's some things that are so emblazoned in my mind. And so at this time, at this moment, Reet hollers for me from this other side room where our computer is set up. And he says, mom, you're gonna be late to the lacrosse game. And this had been a bone of contention. So um, he didn't want me to be late to his brother's lacrosse game. He was adamant that I get to Lucas's lacrosse game. And I gave my dad a hug and I went to get my purse. I was about to walk out the back door and I took steps backward and I came back into the house, kind of backward walking. And I saw Reed looking at the computer. He was on the computer and I leaned in for a kiss on his cheek. He had no problems with me kissing him on the cheek or holding his hand or hugging him. And I leaned in for a kiss and I said, good luck. I love you. And he said, I love you too, mom. 
And I drove to the lacrosse game and the lacrosse game was canceled due to weather, which is very interesting, but it was due to weather and it was a bright, sunny, crisp, crisp day, but there was weather on its way. And so they canceled the whole game. And I promptly got in my car and I drove to the Jewish community center. And as I drove into the Jewish community center, I looked at the clock and the clock said 108. And of course I thought to myself, well, his audition is at 1.30. Reet was a performer, as I said, and my dad was taking him to a very important audition that day. He was auditioning for what we call Casey Superstar. It's a very um, important fundraiser, significant, big fundraiser for the Jewish Community Center in Overland Park, Kansas. And they, they've raised over a million dollars every year for probably the last five or six years. So he's getting ready to audition and his appointment's at 1.30 and I'm pulling in at 1.08. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, not only am I early, I'm probably here before they are. And I'm going to get to see the audition. I had thought I was going to miss the audition this whole day. So I pulled in and I found uh, my father's truck um, open. The driver's side is what I could see when I pulled around to the theater and the driver's side door and the um, passenger door on the driver's side were both open, but I saw no people. I saw no humans anywhere. There were, I saw no humans anywhere in the parking lot. It was a Sunday, as you said, it was Palm Sunday and uh, wasn't a lot going on at the time. It's certainly not where I was or where his truck was parked in the parking lot. And I pressed on the accelerator and as I got just close enough, I could see my dad's body lying on the ground perpendicular to the truck. And when you have a vision like that, it's so interesting how your body emotionally reacts so quickly. So I pressed on the gas pedal more, I heated up, I felt nauseated, I was panicked, I started shaking. I mean, all of this happened within a millisecond. And I barely parked my car grabbed my keys and ran out of my car toward my dad, who wasn't making any motions. Again, I couldn't see anyone else. I was thinking to myself, where's Reet? Reet must be inside calling an ambulance. I remember thinking he must be inside calling an ambulance. I knew that Reet didn't have his cell phone with him. Reet had my cell phone with him. He had gotten in trouble about two weeks prior and, um, he didn't have his cell phone. We had kept it from him over a period of time, but he had my cell phone because he wanted, and I thought he did, he deserved to have um, the, um, like an app on his phone to play the song, to play the note for him because he needed to play, he needed to sing acapella. And so I said, sure, you can have my phone for, for today, for this whole thing. So Reet had my phone. So I didn't have my phone. Reet didn't have his phone. So I'm thinking immediately he must be inside calling an ambulance. You know, at first thought when you, when I saw my dad, I thought he died of a heart attack or, or he'd had a stroke or had a heart attack and he is laying there. But Andrea, as I ran close to him, I, it wasn't very far, but I ran and I was about two feet from him. And it was visually, um, the scene presented that he was deceased. There was no way that he wasn't deceased from what I could see but I couldn't understand how he could be that damaged when I found him. I, I didn't, I couldn't comprehend what I was seeing, but I knew that I couldn't help him. And I stood there a moment and I looked around and the, I can remember feeling the cool air and the breeze on my face. And I heard the words, your father's in heaven, go find Reet. And I took a, a really a deeper breath shaking and I looked to the left and I, and I didn't really think I looked to the right, but I ended up backing up and walking to the right. Then I walked behind my dad's truck and I found Reet in the arms of two men whom I had not seen and I had not heard. I had come screaming toward my dad. So they had heard me. And then when I showed up right next to them, I was screaming, what happened, what happened? And at the same time, another man ran into me. He's a really large man. He was a professional baseball player and I'm five feet tall. And so it was a collision and he held me and we 
we tried to have conversation, but I couldn't understand what was what they were saying or what was going on. And I was, I was dizzy. I was looking at the truck. It was shattered. There was glass shattered everywhere. And so my dad lost his life immediately. And Reet had also been shot through the face with a gunshot with the rifle. And he lost his life 30 minutes later in an ambulance. I wasn't in the ambulance with him, but I, I always like to tell people who are listening to something like this, I've come to understand and have peace with that. It caused me a lot of anguish for several months, um, but I was able to put that to rest. And there was forgiveness um, involved in me not being in the ambulance, uh, forgiveness to myself and forgiveness to others. Um, I was where I was supposed to be. My mom joined us, uh, joined me, my husband, my younger brother, and Lucas, our 12-year-old, they all joined me at the JCC. And if I would not been there for them, if I'd been in the ambulance with Reed, I would have left them without knowing what had happened. Um, we all showed up at the hospital together, and that's where they let us know that Reed was also pronounced dead. So we lost my dad, Aunt Reed, on the same day to a man who was a white, who is or was a white supremacist. Um, that man was imprisoned and he passed away. I don't know if you know this exactly. So my book, Healing a Shattered Soul, was published on May 3rd of 2021. And the murderer died on May 3rd of 2021 in prison, the day that my book published. So that was our day. And, um, and it really did. It changed, it changed my life immediately. And he killed a third woman too. He went over and for people that don't know the Jewish community center, yes, it has Jewish in the name, but it is a community center that welcomes everyone. Like I said, my aunt works there and she's Catholic. So it is, but this murderer went there to target Jews thinking he would just kill Jews. Um, and then he, he go ahead. Yeah, he, he did. Yes, he did. And thankfully he went, you know, on a Sunday when the Hebrew Academy was not in, um, in session, you know, there's a, there's a school there and a preschool and, um, and I'm so thankful that he went on a day when there were less people, of course, he murdered two of my people. So I would really would have liked it if they would not have been murdered. Um, Terry Lomano lost her life. She's the third person that you're speaking about. And we are forever tied to the Lomano family. Jim Lomano actually texted us on Father's Day and wished Lynn a happy Father's Day. And, um, and I responded to him. He and I communicate probably every quarter. Now we probably talk about once a quarter and keep in touch with each other. I follow his kids on Instagram. Um, and so they lost Terry that day. She was at Village Shalom, which is a retirement community, not just for Jewish people, but for everyone. And it's, but it's called Village Shalom. And um, she was there visiting her mother and she came out into the parking lot uh, where the shooter had found himself. He had on purpose driven to the JCC, shot the place up, murdered my dad and Reed. Then he drove to Village Shalom expecting to murder more Jews and he murdered um, Terry who's Catholic, um, like your aunt. And then my dad and Reed are Christian. Yeah. That's what I wanted to bring up. So he, this man did not murder anyone that was Jewish. He murdered two Christians and a Catholic woman. And there's so many, oh gosh, pro, just profound takeaways. I don't want to say takeaway because that trivializes it, but I think especially, you know, as white privileged people, we think, oh, we're, we're, we're safe from the, the racism and the hate and the anti-Semitism, but we're actually not. It, it, all of this is affecting all of us. Nobody, nobody is safe. And, you know, I was listening to one of the moms from the Uvalde, um, one of the children that died was killed at Uvalde, one of the moms talking and saying, you know, somebody watching this, it's, it's going to be your, your son or daughter next. And like you said earlier, we're having these normal days, ordinary days, thinking it's never going to be us, that we're, we're safe. We live in, I mean, Overland Park, I think I read there's where this occurred. I think there's like two homicides a year. It's so, so safe. So never in your most horrific dreams do you think it's going to happen to you. But it did. The hate, the violence, 
it hits us all on some level. Exactly. And I really appreciate you putting it that way that we're white women and we're Christian. And that's the platform that I've taken. People ask, why did you write the book? Why do you speak publicly? And it's for many reasons. So one reason is to talk about mental health. One reason is to talk about when children face trauma, when adults face trauma, how much mental health care is needed. And that, that was very clear what I wrote about in the book about Lucas. Lucas got two chapters. Um, it took a, a lot to save him um, from taking his own life and from getting him from that really, really scary point to where he is now. Uh, but we're very thankful for all the, the sacrifices that we made um, on behalf of him because he's thriving. And then another reason is the platform that I am a white Christian woman and looking at me, you would not think I'm a target, right? I'm not supposed to be a target. And that's the point. The point is, is that we are all targets, all of us. We are all targets of hate. Hate doesn't see color. Hate doesn't see religion. Um, It crosses all barriers and you will get shattered in a ripple of, you know, storm And if you don't speak up about things that are wrong or inaccurate and, you know, what can anger me is that many people knew this murderer. They knew the shooter. He'd been around a long time. He'd been a white supremacist since his dad taught him to hate blacks and Jews when he was a child. He ran for office. He was in jail. He ran the Ku Klux Klan for a while. I mean, he he was what we would say is a horrible, horrible person. He was not supposed to have ammunition. He was not supposed to have guns Mm -hmm. and he got them. He got them at a gun show and he got them at a um, Walmart retail location. And um, Walmart has made strides to make things different and to make things better for all of us, which I appreciate. Um, So we talked before we opened about, you know, me not going down the path of guns and gun safety or gun violence, et cetera, et cetera. And I have to tell you, Andrea, I think the reason that I didn't was because God spoke to me that day. God said, your father's in heaven, go find Reet. And the interfaith component, the fact that they were murdered because someone thought they were Jewish, they were murdered on a Jewish campus. Uh, There was a rabbi in the emergency room when we found out Reed had lost his life. I was just being bombarded by Judaism. And I just spent months and months seeking out more about Judaism. And along that path, all of a sudden, I was introduced to Islam. And I I didn't know much about Islam then. I knew about ISIS. I knew about scary Islam. I knew, you know, that. But then all of a sudden, I was introduced to friendly Muslim people who needed my help and wanted my help. And I have a whole chapter on Islam or Muslim and understanding that. So I spent, I have spent seven years out of eight focused on interfaith and really engaging people to understand that we are human first. We are born as humans and, and then we we are picked, we are either chosen by our family members to go down a certain faith path and, or at some point we choose our own faith path, either a choose a faith path or a none, you know, either agnostic or, or you can, you know, anything, you, if you believe in the spirit of the, of the earth, mother nature, but, but we are human first. And that is what I talk about. I, I really went down that path about the importance of interceding when someone is espousing things that are hateful and having the ability to show courageous kindness, Um, step in and show courageous kindness at any opportunity that you can, you know, without putting yourself in harm. I'm not saying if someone's, you know, going off on somebody that you insert yourself into a conversation that could go violent on you. But, um, but when things are quieter and they're little innuendo jokes, or their, you know, snide comments in uh, at a coffee that you're having with a group of friends or acquaintances, and they joke about someone who is black, or they joke about someone who's handicapped, or they joke about a, a person, a woman in a hijab, you know, learn about those types of comments and have the courageous kindness to intervene at that moment when it's really a soft conversation and let them know that 
that that's not right, that, it, you know, they're a human being too. And why don't we get to know them? Why don't we find an environment where we can ask questions and we can answer questions? Um, I learned a lot more about Christianity than, um, than I had known before because Muslims asked me about Christianity and, and Jews asked me about Christianity. And Andrea, I grew up thinking that everyone was Christian in my little town of all Christians, you know, they were either Baptist or Methodist or Church of Christ or Catholic. I, I didn't know. Did you grow up in the Bible Belt? That's what that, I do. That's for you. I know. I know. I and you think, so I just totally interrupted you, but I was going to, growing up in the Bible Belt as you're talking, we lived there, like I mentioned, for like eight years and got very immersed in very conservative fundamentalist church. And you're, you're, you're taught all these other, I don't know about you, but taught the faith is all these other religions are wrong and they're going to hell. And I did not expect that in your story, but I appreciated it so much. You diving in and letting the rabbi speak to you and be part of your healing journey and the Muslim woman, because that's kind of the path I'm on right now of like, love, love is the, what matters. Kindness is what matters. And any faith and religion that says otherwise is not. So, so go, go continue going. But like you said, you thought everybody was Christian and that was the only right way. And then this part of your story starts opening you up to all these faiths. It did. And so, and the, and the really, I'm talking about this in this, in the vein that it's why I didn't go down the path of guns. I, 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 my right. energy, my energy was focused on the beauty and the life that my dad brought into the world and the beauty that Reet brought into the world. I just wanted to expound on that mm -hmm. and talking about guns and policy. It just, it didn't do it for me. That what that wasn't where I was supposed to go. I felt God very much leading me to, um, bring people together in a safe environment, in a safe space to have conversations with one another. And so our foundation um, was really founded on that, was found, it was called Faith Always Wins, uh, but it was not a Christian organization and it is not now, it is an interfaith organization. But we did change the name to Seven Days because I wanna tell you, Andrea, people say, a lot of people will say, oh, that sounds like a great idea and we wanna fund it, but they don't. So um, having the word faith in our na foundation name uh, was was really indifferent to people um, giving us money because they thought it was mostly a Christian based or they just didn't want to give to any faith at all. And so we took out the word faith, um, but our mission is still the same. Our mission is we overcome hate by promoting kindness through education and dialogue. And so through educating people about how to be kind, and that could be in any anything that could be in being kind, you know, outside in nature, being kind when you see a Muslim or encounter someone who is different from you. If you're Muslim and listening to this, I could say, be kind to Christians, you know, mm -hmm. um, all Christians are not um, white supremacists. Like right now, a lot of people think that white supremacy and Christianity are intertwined. And as a Christian who had family members murdered by a white supremacist, I don't want them attached in a paragraph. Right? Right, right. So there's all this division inside each of our own um, religion lines, each of our own religion channels. And, um, and rather than talking about those types of things, I like to bring people together and talk about, you know, what, how do you like your coffee? And what's your favorite food to eat? And what's your, you know, what's your favorite um, holiday? What, what does your family do when you get together? You know, what kind of meal do you provide your college student when they come home? I mean, these are human family things that really all of us love. And one of the things that my aunt loves that I say is I say, all of us want clean water and soft toilet paper. <laughs> like everybody, mm -hmm. everybody wants clean water and everybody wants soft toilet paper. So let's start there. And then what else do we all want and not want and why? Um, rather than starting with religion. Right. So, yeah, so that's the path that I went down. And um, it's been a great healing journey. Writing Healing a Shattered Soul was um, very hard. 
It took longer than I thought. It was um, excruciatingly painful many days. My husband, Lynn, would walk into the room and I would just be sobbing. And he would look at me, just stand and look at me, kind of like, why? And I said, I know I'd be typing and tears would be falling on my on my laptop and I'd just be typing away. I got carpal tunnel. I mean, I just, it was so difficult, but it was necessary for me to get this story of who my family was and is and how um, it is our objective to heal and to help other people find healing. And that's what, that's what we work on. There's so many different parts of your story brought up in your book and heavily, obviously is your grief journey, but also talking about some of your mom's grief journey and your brother's and how it looks different for all of us. And I was taking pictures this morning and sending some to my own mom because having walking through that with her the last couple of years, it does look very different for each of us. So your own grief journey and your own faith during it, I'd love just to hear a little bit, if you don't mind talking a little bit about how you, I want to say kept your faith. Maybe that is what I want to say. Kept your faith because I mean, you can get very angry at God and you did. And you had, you talk a little bit about when you were younger and somebody close to you died and you, you were done with God then. So how did that not happen to you again? Because a lot of my listeners are people that are deconstructing faith or decolonizing faith or been hurt by the church. So, or hurt by God or feeling like it was God that hurt them. So if you don't mind just sharing a little bit, how you, you kept your faith through all of this. Yes. And for me, it's simple to, to talk about how I kept my faith. I did get very angry. I thought that I might leave Christianity mm-hmm. and become Jewish because I thought, oh, maybe I'm supposed to be Jewish. So I did, I did consider that. And I'm going to tell you I'm a Christian because I don't know that I'm something else or, or have anything else to tell you, but it's a really broad term for me. And, but let me tell you what I believe in. I believe that there is a space, a spirit, a fourth dimension, a fifth dimension, whatever you want to call it, where our loved ones are and they touch me every day. Mm. And so I get messages every day. I mean, first of all, I show up to a parking lot with my dad murdered and I hear the words, your father's in heaven, go find Reet. And on occasion, I've heard Reet talk to me. He hasn't talked to me in like six years I don't think I've heard him talk to me, but early on, I heard him talk to me and answer some questions. He comes to me as a yellow butterfly. He comes to me in songs. People come to me in songs. I've had other people that are friends that don't believe in messages from heaven or spirit or mother nature. They don't believe. And then they will get a message themselves and they'll say, oh my gosh, like I got this message. And how is that so? And And I call it God. So that's why I say I still have faith. I do. I know that they're with me in my heart. I know that they're somewhere and I, and I feel confident that I'm going to see them again. I feel like when I die, there is another afterlife. Now here's what's key. What we learned growing up, Andrea, is that that was what we were aiming for. Like we were living our life, but that the golden goose was to go to heaven, right? Well, heaven is what we make of it on earth too. I mean, we can make our own hell. And, and if we're in a hell, I hope that people, if anyone that's listening is in their own hell, I, I pray that you can find a healing path out and that you can find the right people to help you find the right healing path. I know that many days I create my own heaven. I create my own happiness and my own journey. I'm not living today for the reason that I want to live in heaven. Does that make sense? Like we used to think, I remember thinking, well, sure, I'm going to live today, but really I'm supposed to be reaching for heaven. I don't feel that way now. I feel like it's all kind of inclusive. And today I'm here physically. And one day I won't be here physically, but to me, they're like the same right now. I'm enjoying this, but I I don't, I don't know what REIT and my dad are enjoying. I get glimpses of it when friends of REITs will call me and they will say, REIT was in my dream and he said this and this. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's my boy. You know, he's out and about and he's making things happen, um, even in spirit. So so my faith is there. I, um, I, I have faith in humanity. I have faith in God. I have faith that um, 
that believing that there is a higher power. Uh, I'm not a puppet. I make my own decisions, but I do meditate and I, and I listen, I listen for direction. And when I know that I'm going in the wrong direction, I feel it. And I think that's faith. I think that's having faith. Um, and it's not just in myself. It's in, it's in a higher being. Yes. And, and I love your chapter when you talked to the rabbi and he spoke into you because although your quote faiths differ, there was so much commonality and so much he had to teach you. And I think that is such a thread that we have through your story. And so many of us, when we have something that shakes up our world and we're searching for, okay, no, this, this can't be all that that's it here. And, and as we move forward, and like you said, you want while your time is here to kind of create this heaven here, overcoming these acts of horrific violence with kindness. So talk to me a little bit more about the seven day make a ripple. You mentioned the faith always wins is what you started out with, but now it's and seven days make a ripple was part of that, but now seven days make a ripple is, is the focus. So tell me and my listeners just a little bit about that. And now it won't happen until next, this next spring. I don't even know what year it is or month. It is even more, I feel like, but it won't happen until spring. So tell us just a little bit about it and how, how you move forward, making kindness and making a ripple. Right. Thank you. So seven days hosts a kindness youth leadership team. So we have a, a, a high school group of students, they apply uh, for the program and they're in a kindness youth leadership team and they help us put the um, activities together. But what we do, Andrea, is we teach kindness. And so we are creating resources. We have resources on our website now. So if someone went to sevendays.org, they could click on resources and they would find how to be, how to be kind at work you know, what to do in your business, what to do at home, what to do in school. So we'd have different resources available. Um, and that's where our, that's where our funding is going. Our funding is going to, how do we teach kindness? We've transitioned a little bit to exploring with other groups. There are some other groups. There's a Sandy Hook mom who also has a kindness curriculum. And she and I are talking in another couple of weeks. Um, there's another mom from, um, I think she's from Columbine, but I don't hold me to that. And, and she and I are going to connect. And um, what we want to do is we want to see I want to see from my perspective and our board wants to see if there are other groups, organizations that have kindness curriculum, what can we do to bring those together? What can we do to um, make all of them better um, and get best practices going? So, so what we focus on is kindness and we, and we are focusing on teaching it in the school system. And originally, Andrea, we focused on high school students because Reet was 14. He was a freshman in high school when he was murdered. So we focused on high school students, but my board of directors, um, really in the last 18 months said we want to take that down lower. So it's K through 12. So we are creating resources for the benefit of educators in K through 12. Um, they're focusing on social emotional learning and we want to help them do that. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So fundraising helps us create the kindness resources and we're working on a kindness curriculum and we'll be able to for free then put that in the hands of K through 12 educators. Okay. And we'll, we'll make sure to put the link to that because you have more information on website and all of that. And then you also had a podcast called Real Grief, Real Healing, but you did that for two years, but folks can still access that. Is that correct? Yes. So okay. my website has blogs on it. My website has some podcasts on it. And then my YouTube channel is podcast. So I'm re-releasing uh, we did 48 podcasts. I'm re-releasing my podcast on my YouTube channel. Um, as I told you, I, there were just, I needed some hours back in my day. Um, I was getting stretched too thin. I loved doing my podcast very similar to you. I wanted to give people an opportunity to share their story. And everyone that I interviewed, um, had a grief event. Uh, some of them, it was a death. Some of them, it wasn't a death. Some of them, it was a, it was a scare or it was a disability that happened, etc. But, um, I wanted to share because so many people look at me and say, how did you survive what you did? And they, they think that I emulate like the best way to do grief. And that's not true. You know, my brothers grieve differently, just as you said, my husband grieved differently. Lucas grieved differently. My mom grieved differently. And so in all of these stories that I shared, 
everyone had a different path. And I think they can be so useful to someone because someone could grab a nugget from my mom's podcast and say, oh, okay, I can do that. You know, I may not be able to do what Mindy's doing, but I can do what Mindy's brother did or Susan Bro. I can do what Susan Bro did. Her daughter, Heather Heyer, was um, the one person who was murdered in the alt-right rally. And so I, I interviewed her. Um, I have a lot of great Oh, great interviews, just like you do. I saw how many people you've interviewed and you've done a great job. Um, so I was excited to be a guest as well. And, and I put those hours down, Andrea. I gave those hours um, back to myself because my time is now, like I said, 50-50 on seven days and workplace healing. And workplace healing created a software. And you're not going to be surprised by this. We named our software the Human Recovery Plan Software Platform. So it's all about helping humans recover. And you know what we have to do? We all have to go back to work at some point. You know, I mean, most of us, we go back into workplace. So we have this grief event and our lives are very chaotic and we go back to work. But our leadership, our corporate leadership, our small business leadership, they don't, they don't typically know what to say or do. Many of them are worried about what to say, what to do. They might do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing. And saying nothing at all is not a good choice. So our human recovery plan software platform, it really strengthens corporate culture and it trains employees. So we're focused on social impact and maximizing social impact um, for companies. This is just another legacy of my dad and Reed. That's right. what it is. Right. And especially the timing of this business, we just, with the, all the deaths from COVID and so many having to go back into the workplace, and we don't know what to do with this individual grief, this collective grief. I, I feel like walking through my own grief that we as a society don't grieve really well or allow the space for it, or even know how to do it. Not that there's one right, right way at all, but it's just, it's, it's not a place and a space that we, we do really well at. So tell me, I would love to know, because I actually was at a therapy session last week talking about grief. I don't know, any advice or words of wisdom that you have for people that are grieving, whether they're just now walking through it, whether it's something that you, you know, learn from your podcast and all the stories you heard or something from your own journey, just what you feel sticks out for you most to share. Absolutely, absolutely. So to be clear, workplace healing speaks to um, leadership and managers and supervisors, not to the griever. So okay. workplace healing focuses on someone who's going to help the griever themselves by creating a plan for them, a plan of okay. action. Okay. Now, but what you're asking me to do, which is great, is um, speak directly to a griever. Mm -hmm. You know, how, what would I, what would I offer to a griever? So what I would say is if you feel the need to cry um, and you keep pushing it down and not crying because one, you might be in a situation where you don't feel comfortable crying. You might be embarrassed to cry. Um, find a safe place to cry. If that could be in your shower. It could be in your car. It could be at a park. Um, it could be in your closet. Uh, but find a place to cry. If you keep welling up and feeling that choke in your throat and that heat in your chest and you keep stuffing it down, you will make yourself sick at some point. Your body will cave in and you'll start, you'll get sick in some way and you'll go to the doctor and they won't really be able to diagnose what it is or it'll become something, it'll manifest. Um, and so- it is an emotion that we have to let out. So grief is a sadness and it's an emotion, but it also, we feel it. So you do feel your heart hurt. You feel your heart ache. You feel your head throbbing. Um, so many times I would be sitting in a meeting, but not in the, not in the meeting at work. I, my brain would be in the parking lot with my dad and Reed. My brain would be there. I, I would feel like I was lifted in there. That's foggy brain. That's part of being not present um, because I had so much chaos and trauma that my brain was putting the pieces back together slowly. And sometimes my brain was putting the pieces back together when I was supposed to be making a client presentation. It, it, they didn't mix well. So so grief, you have to allow yourself time to process it. And what I mean by that is find a safe environment where you can journal, do yoga, meditate, 
ride a horse, ride a bike, boxing, kickboxing, running, you know, you'll hear a lot of what I talk about is physical because the emotion that we have causes a, a increase in cortisol. And one of the best things to do is to think through it, um, allow yourself to cry and then do something physical to get that cortisol out. Even massage. I mean, I, massages are great to get the toxins out of your body. Mm -hmm. um, those are some, those are some grieving things that as a griever, um, I would recommend doing those things. Now, here are some funny things that I do. Um, sometimes I'll eat um, strawberry rhubarb pie because that's what Reet loved, right? Mm -hmm. So I let, so sometimes I'm like, it's, I got to go with strawberry rhubarb pie. Like Reet really wants one. And so I'm going to go mm -hmm. get one. Or my dad loved, um, you know, like sauerkraut and sausage. And so I'll make sauerkraut and sausage on behalf of him. Mm -hmm. And those are things that I do. And someone might say, I do that in memory of them, but it helps me process the grief. It helps me have a good memory of them and think of them and, um, and cherish them. And that's part of the process. Yeah, that's, that's helpful even for me listening to this. And also again, that everybody's process looks, looks very different than each other's. So absolutely. Yeah. Mindy, I, I'm keeping an eye on the time and it looks like we have to start wrapping up here. There's so much more I could talk to you about, but can you tell listeners where you can be found, like the best place to find your website, buy your book, all that. And of course I'll put links in the show notes, but um, at least tell people where you can be found. Yes. So I can be found at mindycorporon.com. So it's M-I-N-D-Y-C-O-R-P-O-R-O-N. I always say all O's in my last name.com. <laughs> so you can, you can find my blogs and articles. I did write a blog um, on Father's Day. I felt compelled to write a blog. I had not written about my husband's um, aspect of Father's Day. I'd written about my own aspect of Father's Day, losing my father. But this Father's Day, I wrote about my husband, you know, losing Reet and not having Reet. Yeah. So I wrote about that for this Father's Day. Um, and then again, my podcasts are, some of them are on my website and some of them are on my YouTube and everything's Mindy Corcoran. Okay. So LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, and that website. And then if anyone is listening that's corporate or business oriented and is interested in um, filling a gap in their well-being um, platform for their company, you know, please look at Workplace Healing. Look at workplacehealing.com or find us on LinkedIn. Um, our expectation, our goal is to change corporate America. We want to increase the empathy muscle of everyone um, in our workplace and help people um, have a, a safe space to grieve and to re-engage. It's so important to um, have return on investment and it's also important to have return of humans. Yes. Mindy, thank you so much. Your book, Healing a Shattered Soul, it's been out a little over a year. Folks can find it, I'm yes. guessing, at all the major places that you can find books. Yes. Um, and I just encourage folks to, to get it and they can learn more about your journey and others and healing and the kindness that you promote. Thank you so much, Mindy, for being here today. I so appreciate you and your voice. Thank you, Andrea. I appreciate it.